Good morning, Christ Church. Some strange times we're living in today, huh? And this uh, kind of brings back memories for me 20-something years ago, 26 years ago or so when I was in seminary. We used to film ourselves in class and then have to watch ourselves on video and critique ourselves. I kind of feel like I've gone all the way back to my seminary days, sitting in front of a, a camera propped up on a ladder because we don't have a, a tripod, um, but it is what it is. So it's my great privilege to bring God's Word to you today, and I hope that uh, at the end of our time together, uh, you'll have a, a, a deeper appreciation for God's Word, uh, and you'll sense the work of His Holy Spirit in your life today. Uh, it's, uh, our text this morning is going to be, as we continue in our, our study of the miraculous certainties, this is Luke chapter 17, and it's uh, beginning in verses 11 through 19. So hear now the very word of God. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And thank you that you speak to us through it and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes now to behold wonderful things from this portion of your holy law we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. No doubt you've probably heard the real estate motto, location, location, location. They all seem to use it, uh, and it's probably something that's already stuck in your mind. I was thinking about that this past week as I was looking over this passage, studying this passage. It's a very true statement, location, 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 but you can always or also have a, a right location, and there would still be some kind of a distance between you and what it is that you are hoping that will bring joy and comfort to your life. I've experienced it a few times. I've told you about that old house that Jennifer and I bought in downtown St. Louis, a hundred-year-old house. Uh, it was a wonderful location. We were about uh, two or three miles from my beloved Cardinals uh, at Bush Stadium. We were in the city of St. Louis. We loved being in an urban setting. We were on the beautiful street, which was really wide, but had a great big median that came up the center of it. It was a great location. But the church where I was pastoring was 19 miles outside of the city limits out in the county. So while the location of the house was wonderful, there was still a huge distance between my living life or home life and my work life. Being in, uh, when I was in South Texas, we were about 25, 26 
hours of drive time away from my grandkids in Chicago when we were down in South Texas. We uh, moved up into the Grand Rapids area now and we're only three hours away. So the, the drive time is much better now, but yet we're still three hours away. It's st it still takes me three hours to get to them instead of just literally down the street. So sometimes the location, location, location can be a right thing, but there's still a distance. There's still some type of a separation. That's, I think, exactly what Luke tells us, gives us right here in this particular passage, what I want to show you today. I read a lot of commentaries, and I've heard this passage preached on before, and perhaps you have as well. The focus seems to be, for a lot of people, that this is a passage about thankfulness, that ten lepers were healed, but only one of them comes back to give thanks to God, and the other nine display an unthankfulness, where he displays the only one who comes back to Jesus with thankfulness. While certainly we can make that point, in this particular passage. I don't think that's what Luke is trying to give us here. I want to show you that in hopes that even in this time where we are today, uh, in the, the COVID-19 virus, this, this passage is all about uh, a distance. It's all about uh, being at the feet of Jesus and bringing worship and honor and glory to him, or at a distance from Jesus, a location, location, location. Luke's passage, this particular version of, of Luke's passage, which, by the way, is the only one in the gospel accounts. The other gospel accounts don't give us this a record of the ten lepers. But it's, it's in a very interesting place in, in Luke's book. Remember what Luke told us all the way back in chapter 1, the reason why he was writing his book. He was writing his book to give an orderly account so Luke had in his mind uh, an idea of what he would put where and why. He begins his parable accounts back several chapters before. We have all of these parables before this particular passage on the ten lepers. And then we have other parables that, that come after this particular passage. This passage almost reads like a parable, although it is uh, an actual event that takes place. If, if Jesus had just begun, the kingdom of heaven is like, it would almost read and sound like a parable too. The parables that come before Luke 17, uh, Luke gives us the account of Jesus teaching religious individuals about kingdom living. He's wanting them to, to see what God has done for them and is doing for them as he draws these individuals savingly to himself, the religious people uh, who have missed the person uh, for uh, the place. The parables that follow this particular passage, then, uh, are all parables that, that call those individuals that are far off to come to Christ, those that are at a distance from Christ, to come and receive what he gives to them and to worship in response. So the parables that proceed, that, that come right before the chapter before this of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, 
Christ is calling religious people to himself. And then we read this particular passage about those that are far off in a distance that cry out to Christ for his mercy. And Jesus addresses them. He heals them. But only one now finds himself at the feet of Christ and the others continue in a distance away from him. This really is then a gospel presentation for Luke. Luke is showing us right in this particular passage, he's placed it here as an orderly account to give us a picture of how Christ is calling individuals to himself and our response then, our place is right at his feet. We enjoy a distance at times, friends. We enjoy Christ and all that he does for us and gives to us We cling to that, we say we believe that, but we continue at a distance many times in the way we live our life instead of falling prostrate at his feet and worshiping him. Young people, covenant children, I want to, I'm going to give your moms and dads three main points in this passage. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And I've, I've, I've termed all three of these with a, a word that starts with the letter D. And I want to be sure that you capture those. So write those down, and then you and your mom and dad can talk about that after we're done this morning. The first one that we come to in verses 11 through 13 gives us a beautiful picture of the desperation, the desperation of these 10 lepers. Back in chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus said that he resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem and he was going to make his way there to Jerusalem. So what we find in the passage is it opens on the way to Jerusalem. He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. We don't really have a, a time frame, but we understand now that, that Jesus is making his way all the way down to Jerusalem because there he is going to fulfill Isaiah 53. He is going to take on the sins of his people. He's going to bear those sins on the cross to set us free from the slavery of our sin. So back in chapter 951, we read that Jesus set himself resolutely, his face towards Jerusalem. He's headed towards Jerusalem, and on his way, he comes into a particular village, and as he's approaching that village, we find that he is uh, met with ten lepers. Perhaps he hears them even before he sees them. Now, no doubt you've heard all uh, kinds of teaching on leprosy. We go back to Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, long accounts of, of how lepers were treated, how they were declared unclean, how they had to shout that they were unclean, they couldn't get close to anyone, they were banished from the city. No doubt you've probably heard that, but I want you to think about the, the depth of this excommunication from covenant life. For those men that were married, this meant that they, they couldn't embrace their wives. Uh, for those men that had children, they couldn't embrace their children, their, their grandchildren. They couldn't gather for corporate worship. Uh, we're kind of experiencing something like that today, aren't we? I mean, I'm, I'm coming to you via a video instead of a, a, a corporate gathering in our church today. We're excommunicated from one another. But this soon will go away. We, we trust that someday soon, very soon, we'll be back together. But for these ten men here, that wasn't going to go away. 
This was their new norm that would have been for the rest of their life. They were excommunicated from God's people, from their families. They were in a very, very desperate, desperate state. Perhaps these men had heard something about Jesus, though perhaps because Jesus now resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem to make his way to Jerusalem, uh, word about him had, had spread, um, and, and perhaps they had heard something about Jesus and, and the way he had been healing other individuals. Because look how they cry out to him in verse 13. They lifted up their voices. They're crying out as, as loud as they can, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It's interesting, Luke does not use the Greek word that we translate rabbi like he does in other places. They're not calling out to Jesus as the rabbi, the teacher. They're calling out to Jesus as master. This is a word of authority. This is a word of power. These men, these ten lepers, in their, in their desperate situation, understand that there is one individual who has been healing others who potentially could heal me as well. And so look what they do. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They don't cry out for grace, but they cry out for mercy. They don't cry out for God to lavish his, his unmerited favor on them. They cry out that God would have, or that Jesus would have mercy, that he would see their oppression, that he would see their desperate state, and he would have pity on them. All the way back in Luke chapter 1, when we read about Mary and what we term Mary's Magnificat, followed by, by Zechariah and his Benedictus, we read in a couple of places in Mary's account and a couple of places in Zechariah's account that they're looking forward to the one who would come to lavish mercy upon generation and generation of God's people. They were anticipating that a Savior would come who would bestow his mercy. We don't hear anything else in Luke's account about mercy until chapter 10 and then in chapter 16, right before our passage. In chapter 10, where we read about the Good Samaritan, which, by the way, we have the one here, a Samaritan. When, when Jesus says, who, who was a neighbor? Who acted neighborly uh, in the story, the parable that I just shared in the Good Samaritan? And the answer was, well, the one who, who bestowed mercy, the one who gave mercy. And then in chapter 16, right before our passage with the rich man and Lazarus, in verse 24, he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus just a dip of water, a, a droplet of water on my parched tongue. So here in this particular passage now, these individuals in their desperate state, crying out, Master, Jesus, Master, the one with power, the one with authority, have pity, have mercy on me. 
Look at Jesus' declaration. Now, that's the middle part. Their desperation. But now, Jesus' declaration, he says, when he saw them, he said to them. So perhaps he heard them long before he got to them. But as he comes in towards the outside of the city, making his way to this city, he now sees these individuals. He does have pity on them. He extends mercy. He sees them, and he makes one declaration. Go and show yourselves to the priests. This would have stunned lots of individuals, this declaration that Jesus gives. First, I think it would have stunned the crowd that was following Jesus for this reason. Because they knew, they knew that leprosy was a curse from God himself. That these individuals had been cursed by God, and they had been declared by the priests to be unclean. They were outside of the city, and therefore Jesus is now saying, declaring, go and show yourselves to the priest. They would have been stunned to the point that they would have thought, why would he send them back to the priest unless they were clean? Is he actually saying that he has the ability to clean these individuals? To, to cure these individuals. So I think it would have stunned the crowds that had been following Jesus. I think it would have stunned the lepers, these ten lepers too. I mean, I mean, just think about this. They had already been to the priests. They had already gone to the priests, and the priests had declared, you are unclean, you have leprosy, you must be excommunicated from the city, from your family, from your loved ones, from your friends. You need to leave the city limits altogether. You need to go outside the city limits. They had already done that. That's why they are where they are. So why would Jesus say, go, show yourselves to the priests? They are where they are because they had already done that. So they too would have been stunned. We don't know the amount of time. We can only look at the passage and say, as they went, they were cleansed at the end of verse 14. We don't know how, how far they got. But they did respond, and they're on their way to the priests to show themselves now, stunned as they may have been. They're on their way following Jesus' declaration to show themselves to the priests. Do you know that Luke only records two accounts of lepers that are being cleansed? Pastor Andrew led us through one of them several weeks ago from Luke chapter 5. Think about that account where there was only one individual, and now in chapter 17 we have ten lepers. Look at the difference between the two, because what did Jesus do to the first one that he's not doing to these ten here? He touched that man in Luke chapter 5. He touched that leper and he cleansed, of him, cleansed him of his leprosy by becoming a leper for him. In many ways, Jesus placed his hands on that particular individual, and he took that leprosy on himself as contagious as it was, and he said, I'm going to become that leper for you so that you can be cleansed. He doesn't do that here in chapter 17. He only declares, go to the priests and show yourselves to them. So in their going, they go. 
We don't read any account about when they get to the priests, but don't you think the priests would have been stunned too? Not only those that are following Jesus, not only these ten individuals, but now as, as the nine reach the priests, they had to declare that these individuals had in fact now been cleansed. They had been healed but yet they're standing in front of the priests, they would have had to declare that Jesus was adhering to the very law of God. He came saying, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill the law. And so he sends them, he declares to them, go back to the priest to show yourselves. They're standing in front of the priests now, and the priests have got to admit that Jesus had not abandoned the law. He was adhering to the law because here they are, standing in front of the priests, and now they have to admit that they are actually clean. They're actually healed and this very one who commanded them, who declared to them to go and show themselves to the priest, had in fact cured them. He was who he said that he was. He had the power, he had the ability to declare that they were clean, and he cleansed them from their sin. The priests would have been stunned that they now are standing in front of them and would have to declare that Jesus adheres to the law and he in fact is fully God and fully man, the only one powerful enough to cleanse these individuals. And so we come to the last D at the end, and that is distance. The first miracle, there are actually two miracles in this particular account before us. The first miracle is that Jesus cleanses all ten. The passage tells us that all ten of them were cleansed, but only one of them came back. The end of verse 14 and the beginning of verse 15. So these religious individuals now, the, the, the passage tells us that the, the one who comes back is a Samaritan. He's a foreigner. No doubt you've probably heard how the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. Samaritans were part Jew and part Gentile from the diaspora when the children of Israel were taken into bondage and stragglers stayed behind and they commingled with the Gentiles and a new race was formed called the Samaritans. So the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. We read that in John chapter 4 when Jesus sits at the well with the Samaritan woman. So these nine individuals are perhaps Jewish individuals. They're the religious people, and the one who comes back is the only one who is a Samaritan. They would co-mingle together. They would, this would be their only community. Their, their situation was so desperate, as we read about in the beginning, that they're even willing to, to disregard Samaritans and Jews. They were lepers. But now what we find is these nine religious people go back to the priests, they present themselves, show themselves because of Jesus' declaration, <clears throat> and they are now cured. The priests declare that they are cured. None of them come back to worship. Maybe for this very reason. Being Jewish individuals, they knew the law. They knew Leviticus 13 and 14. They knew they had to go back and show themselves to the priest to be declared clean. And then the very first thing they were supposed to do was to make their way to the temple to offer sacrifices and worship Yahweh. 
Maybe they thought to themselves, we're not neglecting worship. We're going to do that. As soon as he declares, they declare, the priests declare that we're clean, we're going to make our way to the temple and there we will worship. These religious individuals, friends, think about this. They miss the person for the place. They miss the Savior, Jesus, to make their way to the place, the temple, to offer sacrifices and worship Yahweh. The very one who had declared to them to go show yourselves to the priest had healed them, and they missed the person for the place. Don't we do that many times? There's a distance many times, is there not? We say that we believe the Savior. We say that he bore my sin in his body. We say that we believe that by faith. But yet our lives, many times, even as religious individuals, our lives dictate something completely different. There is a distance between us and the very person who bore our sins in his body on the tree. But thanks be to God that here in Luke, the orderly account, that Luke is giving us this picture of the gospel at work to answer for us not the question of who is thankful, but the question of who is at a distance from Jesus. Let him come. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Come and fall before him. And that's what we find at the end of the passage. He's fallen face down at the feet of Jesus, the very one who once was at a distance. Think about it like this. These ten begin all the same, but nine of them continue the same. They all begin, all ten, at a distance from Jesus. They're shouting in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They start at a distance from Jesus, and nine of them continue at a distance from Jesus making their way to the, to the place instead of coming back to the person. Only one begins at a distance and now ends in a different way, a completely different way. That's why Jesus says, Your faith, rise, verse, 17, or verse 19, rise and go your way because your faith, different from their faith, your faith has made you well, or better translated as you would see in your footnote, your faith has saved you. The word is sozo. It means to be saved. It's the word for salvation. Friends, the greater miracle, the first miracle is that they were healed, but the greater miracle is that this Samaritan now, who once was lost, has now been found, who once was at a distance, is now at the very feet of Jesus, and not only has he been physically healed, but now he has been spiritually healed. He has been saved. That's what Christ promises to us. That's what the gospel promises to us. Luke gives us this orderly account right here in these pictures of the parables before, this account, and the parables after. Because every parable now that will follow this particular passage is given to those not who are religious, but those that are far off as Jesus continues to draw individuals savingly to himself. That's the gospel. 
But friends, I want you to know this too. The gospel not only saves us and it gives us this hope that we have been saved, but it gives us this hope too, that our Savior is not at a distance from his children Even in times like this, in our leprosy, in times of COVID-19, when we're separate from one another, in our desperate situation, our Savior has not left us. He has not abandoned us. He is with us as we fall even through a, 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 a video camera, even as we're corporately gathering, worshiping individually as families, we are still bound together by the same Savior who dwells within us by the power of his Spirit. He has not left us. He will not leave us. That's the beauty of the gospel. He saves us and now dwells within us by the power of his Spirit. So friends, here's the question I want to leave with you today. Is there a distance between you and Jesus, the Master, our Savior? Is there a distance between you and Christ? Or are you at the foot of your Savior, the feet of your Savior today, worshiping Him because you have been spiritually healed and you have been saved, set free from the bondage of your sin, set free from your desperation? That's the good news of the gospel. No distance. We are Christ's. He is in us. We are in him. Let's live in the fullness of that gospel today and every day. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a beautiful gospel you've given to us. Thank you that there is no distance, that you have come to us right where we are, and you have sealed to us through the work of your Holy Spirit saving grace upon grace, extended mercy to us as your people. You've saved us. And so we come with loud voices, worshiping you, the one true and the living God. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the certainty of knowing that today, even though we're separate from one another, we are in the arms of our Savior even now the one who reigns and dwells within us. Let us experience that in the fullness of your grace and mercy today and every day, please, we pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.